Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 101. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. It means a lot to me. Before we get started on the, the interview, I'd like to pass along some of the services that I can provide you and your organization. You know, leadership is the difference maker and the deal breaker. You know how I feel about it if you're a regular listener on the show. I recently became a John Maxwell certified coach, teacher, and speaker. And with that, I can offer you workshops, seminars, keynote speaking, and coaching, helping you both personally and professionally through growth, through study, and practical application of John Maxwell's proven leadership methods. You know, I got over 25 years real-world practical leadership experience as a U.S. Marine Corps officer, professional pilot, corporate executive at the VP and director level, and you know I'm passionate about leadership, and you know that I believe it's central to every aspect of our lives and that all our leadership challenges should be met with that lifelong dedication and pursuit of becoming calmer, confident, consistent, and courageous. So I'm looking forward to working together through accountability with you. To learn more, go to doseofleadership.com, click on the speaking and coaching menu item, and I look forward to hearing from you. Again, thanks for tuning into the show. Now, here's the interview. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce to you today Chris Carneal. He is an innovative leader who's not only impacting his organization, Boosterthon, but also the next generation of leaders by growing a national fundraising company from one elementary school in Alabama to thousands of schools in 21 states across the United States since 2001. It's been 11 years since the first Boosterthon fund run, and Chris Carneal spends his year traveling the country, visiting his hundreds of team members, imparting best practices to them, and celebrating the continued growth and success to the team. Chris, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Richard, thanks for having me. I'm humbled and honored to be here. Well, I always find what I call these um, kind of little-known or lesser-known true authentic leaders who are doing things, impacting things behind the scenes and not getting a lot of recognition. I mean, you've been very successful since 2001. I love the story of what you're doing. I love the fact that you're working with kids and your central focus is leadership. So bring us up to speed. Tell us about Booster Thon. Tell us about your background, how you got involved with this, and, and what brought you here today. Sure. Well, it's a story I tell often, uh, and I love to tell. I'll give a quick summary. I grew up in South Florida, went to college in Birmingham, Alabama, and I played baseball a little bit. When my baseball career was over uh, in college, I started doing one-on-one baseball lessons. I needed a uh, college job and needed to pay for some bills, uh, save for an engagement ring for who is now my wife, Lindy. <laughs> and I started doing baseball lessons. It was a skill that I had. And I quickly realized within my first two or three lessons that these elementary students that I was giving private one-on-one lessons to they thought I was a major league baseball player. I mean, I barely played at a small school in Birmingham, but I realized that I had a platform to influence uh, positively the lives of students and to use physical fitness and athletic activity and sports as a medium to communicate that. So I really enjoyed it, and I saw that if I was good at what I did and made a difference uh, teaching the skills of the game that I earned the right and the platform to teach some lasting values, hard work, um, character, perseverance, attitude. 
So I developed a character curriculum while I was doing these lessons. And then one day, a fifth grader named Carter uh, came to uh, came to the field and met me in Birmingham. His lesson was about to begin, and he said, "Hey, before we start, Coach, can you uh, would you consider buying magazine or wrapping paper for my school fundraiser?" So I'm 21 at the time, and I'm a college senior. And it just gave me a flashback to when I was in elementary school having to sell product sales. So I said, you know, I'm in college. I don't have much money. I don't really want cookie dough. uh, But, you know, we'll see. And it just kind of put in my mind uh, the idea and thoughts, is this what schools still do to raise funds? My mom spent 35 years in education. uh, So I called her. I called my dad. I just kind of got thoughts. And I investigated and asked questions and sent emails and found out that there's 85,000 elementary schools in America, and the vast majority, not all, but the majority, at some point in the year through some function or organization sell some sort of product to raise funds. Rich or poor, uh, large or small, rural or urban, there's usually on most elementary school campuses some sort sort of product fundraiser. So I just started scratching my head. And with the context of the sports uh, tutoring that I was doing, I thought there's got to be a way to include all students uh, as opposed to a product sale that, in a sense, uses the students to, to sell something. If they don't sell anything, there's nothing for them. There needs to be some lasting value. The character lessons I was teaching, I thought that would be really incredible if we could integrate that into the program. And there's a lot of schools that did and still do their own in-house fun runs. So I thought, man, that's, as I investigated that, schools loved that alternative, but it was so labor-intensive. They didn't know where to begin. They couldn't really communicate, and you had to get a lot of volunteers together. So I started pitching this idea of what we call the Boosterthon to about 40 schools. And I'm a college senior, and I'm basically asking schools to trust me with their kids and their money that I've got an idea that I haven't tried. And when one school said, hey, we need to raise $2,000 for school uniforms, let's try it and uh, kind of gave me their trust, and the school ended up profiting $21,000. And that was the first time we ever did it, and that was uh, spring 2002, uh, about 11 years ago. And we've tweaked it uh, hundreds of times and grown a lot since then. But what we found is that the, the being able to walk in a school campus and say, you know, your teachers need to teach. They don't need to count money or sell products. We want to create an inclusive program that every student, even if they don't financially give or participate, uh, that's fine. They still get to participate athletically in the fitness fun run, and we're going to come alongside the school and teach character lessons that have lasting value. Uh, We feel like that combination um, has given us the growth and the opportunity to serve now this year over 1,000 schools and about 700,000 students um, in about 22, 23 states right now. Wow. So how does it work? Walk me through the process. This is very intriguing to me. You know, because you're right. I mean, I remember myself when in sports and in schools, it's always the same thing. It's always the tub of popcorn, you know, or the, like you said, right. the cookie dough or whatever. Um, so talk me through it. If I'm an educator, you come to me, how, what do you do for me? Sure. Well, the, usually I came to you because I was referred by another educator. Uh, we don't do much direct sales. It's pretty much word of mouth. So if we do a good job or a bad job, everybody's going to know about it. So we really focus on the excellence of our program. Um, and our program hinges upon our people, and we'll talk, I'm sure, in a minute about our people. But they are—they are what makes it happen. They're incredible. They do—they do the work. They—they they, um, are incredibly authentic and trustworthy. They're passionate about what they do. So basically, I'll, I will start um, 
by asking schools, and I have a team now that does this, but what do you currently do? Tell us your school history of fundraising. How do you bridge the budget gaps? What are you trying to raise money for? I mean, let's, let's hear the big picture and the vision before we propose the solution. And more often than not, a PTA, a PTO, a booster club, a development department will say, we need to raise $30,000 or $50,000 or whatever it might be for a lot of odds and ends, sometimes the technology enhancement, sometimes new smart boards, new gym floor, new playground, whatever it is. It's up to the school. Uh, but usually, most schools are doing a magazine drive, uh, and they'll raise ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, and they hope over the next five years they'll save enough to, um, to potentially be able to buy a you know, new um, playground equipment or something. Um, our schools average... 70% more net profit with the Boosterthon than their previous best fundraiser. Yeah, so it's great. not quite double. Sometimes some schools are two to three times as much. Um, so our basic sales pitch is, you know, we'll walk you through it, but we're going to do the work. We're going to raise you more money, and we're going to um, hopefully, if we do a good job, it's not going to feel like a fundraiser. It's going to feel like a unbelievably fun fitness event that teaches character and lasting value. So it's a nine-day program. We're on, it's, it's, it's fun, positive, upbeat, exciting, but it's nine days and then it's over. So it doesn't linger and laugh too long. The, the job of the uh, school is to educate, not to raise funds. <laughs> we don't want to get in the way of that. In fact, all we want to do is support and enhance what they're already doing. Right. So we do a lot, of, a lot of due diligence in the front end to understand the school's culture. We have a pre-program meeting. We um, bring in a couple volunteers and say, you know, here's a few things that you could do to enhance the experience and to decorate and promote. And we learn the communication channels the school uses. So we put up posters before it comes and email and so forth just to kind of get everybody ready for it. This is the fall fundraiser or spring fundraiser, whatever season we're in. Then our team comes on campus and has a pep rally. And it's a 30-minute pep rally. It's usually the end of the day on either a Monday or a Tuesday. And we are casting vision to the students. We're communicating in their language. We're showing videos. We have flags and banners and tunnels and tents. We do a dance party with the teachers. I mean, it's just this incredibly fun uh, event that we're trying to tell the narrative and the story that we want you students to help your school. This isn't just something you give to mom or dad or you delegate. We want you to feel ownership uh, in the opportunity to, uh, in a sense, live for something bigger than yourselves, pass on something, even once you... Uh, you know, finish your time at that school that can live beyond you. You know, we're raising money for a gym floor or a playground that for the next 20 years students are going to use. And uh, nine days from today, if this is, let's say, a Monday pep rally, the following Wednesday is the Boosterthon fund run. So for the next nine days, we're challenging students to get pledges from sponsors, mom, dad, grandparents, friends, neighbors. They go online to fundrun.com. Most sponsors pledge them a dollar per lap. The students are rewarded based upon the number of pledges they get. And then the classroom celebrates classrooms, and teachers have all kinds of fun, creative, personalized incentives. Uh, so it really is just a fun, momentum-building week. And then the day of the Boosterthon, all the students participate. They're wearing their Boosterthon all-star jersey T-shirt. Every time they complete a lap, we put a mark on the back of their shirt. And the day of the run is just like this incredible experience. I mean, it feels more... Uh, like the circus coming to town or like an athletic event than it does a fundraiser. Uh, music playing. We have a soundtrack we build every year. Every lap is a theme lap, so dance a lap, jump a lap, backwards lap, high five a lap. Uh, and then our team's out there hosting it, set it up. We get to the school about 5.30 in the morning and set everything up, the water table, the tracks, make sure it's all organized and, and ready to go. And then the students just have an absolute blast. 
Uh, and then the goal is that the schools raised, uh, you know, definitely better than previous years, but sometimes two to three times as much. Uh, and we hope that the goal is they don't just raise the money, but they're talking about the character lessons they learned. Uh, and the camaraderie and culture they built as a school. That's our goal. That's outstanding. You're telling this whole story, and i got a smile on my face. I'm just I'm totally in, engaged and enraptured with what you're saying. What a great idea. Good for you. I think this is so fantastic. I wish I would have – I need to see this in action. I mean, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> getting excited hearing you tell me this story about this. Well, that's just fantastic. I think uh, – tell me a little bit about some of the character lessons that you guys uh, impart on the students. Sure. Well – uh, if anybody watching wants to see some videos of it, you can go to boosterthon.com, and there's videos of the program. And what I'm telling you is nothing compared to the actual feel of being on campus and seeing the smiling faces of the student. I think what we do well is we make the student the star. It's not about us. Right. Uh, it's about the student. It's about what they're doing. So the sense of ownership they gain, they're the one participating in the run. They're the one working hard. Uh, so it's really incredible. We have a uh, media team um, in our home office in Atlanta, Georgia, that about two years out comes up with a character theme of the year. Um, and we, So every year is a brand-new theme. So the majority of our clients partner with us year after year after year. And the way we keep the program fresh, uh, new soundtrack, new look, new posters, but it's a totally new character theme. So our team, in between the pep rally and the Boosterthon fund run the, the nine days later, we're on campus every day. We're on the morning announcements usually, uh, and then we will have what we call a team huddle. Uh, and each grade, one grade at a time, will come to a common area uh, for about 8 to 12 minutes, and we will interact with a video that we make. It's our team hosting it, congratulating the students, recommunicating what the school's doing and why it's important that they raise funds. Uh, we'll reward and recognize the students in the classrooms, uh, and then we'll teach a character lesson of the day. This year's character theme at every school is Camp High Five. Uh, you know, the feelings of summer camp and everything that that entails, mm-hmm. community and friendship. So each day we have a different character lesson about that, an interactive video uh, that goes along with it. And then if they choose to, they can go home that night and watch an additional video uh, online that kind of talks about the character lesson of the day. So the goal is that it feels like, yes, I'm raising money and the ownership and generosity and the um, selfless nature of that act is a character lesson in and of itself. We try to connect those dots every day, but we want to connect the dots also to some very practical, um, everyday stuff that would affect uh, an elementary student, from not bullying to having a positive attitude to being inclusive to being encouraging. So each year we'll do studies and we'll talk to uh, parents all over the country and say, hey, as a parent, from your perspective, educators and parents, what are the biggest issues that American elementary students face? Uh, and how can we, in just some small way, come alongside the school and teach, encourage, and engage these students in a, in a conversation that will lead to lasting value in their lives long after the money's been raised and spent? Uh, and that's really what we get so passionate about, the fact that there's three-quarters of a million students that we get to um, encourage and challenge to uh, one day become future leaders. That's great. Just fantastic. I mean, when did you... F- when did you finally realize that you were an entrepreneur? Well, uh, I think my parents would tell me that they've always seen it uh, in me. I don't know if I realized it um, until later, but literally in elementary school, I would uh, always have a little project or side business uh, when I was in elementary school. I, I love the idea of creating things. I feel like I'm fairly creative. I like thinking outside the box. Um, 
my dad's an attorney, but he, he uh, in his spare time, would start businesses every so often to be creative. So I, I've always had a leaning towards entrepreneurship. Um, I love seeing a need and finding the answer or solution or finding a better way to do things. Um, I think that's probably what drove this, that I, I love my elementary school experience. I now have four children of my own uh, to an elementary school, and um, – you know, there's schools need money, need money, and need to raise funds. And um, you know, schools would wish they probably could just wave a magic wand and the money would appear in the bank account. Fundraising is not the most um, attractive industry, but we're excited not just that we get to raise funds, but it's who we're doing it for and the reason we're doing it. So, to be able to serve schools and take a little bit of that work off their plate, so that the, the administration and teachers can focus on the task of educating the next generation. Uh, and if we can provide an extra five, ten, or twenty thousand dollars more than they expected, that's just that much more in financial resources that they can provide for students. So, and we've seen that correlation. It's really great when we go back to a school year after year. We'll walk in a school that we've served for six or seven years, and we'll see the new computers and the new playground and the new gym floor and the new smart boards that you know all these students are using. So, it's a really great sense of satisfaction. Uh, to be able to make a difference in the lives of school communities. That's just great. I I just can't thank you enough for for taking the risk and and doing that out there. How, t- a little bit about the business side. How do you? Um, I'm looking at the website where you're talking. The videos, great animation, great characters. Um, this is a business that you got to run on the side. How? What is your income stream? How does this happen? Sure. Schools pay us a percentage of what they raise. Uh, when we started the business, we wanted to be one of the cheapest in terms of value base. We wanted to add the most value, but we also we didn't want to take more than we thought we needed to take to cover our bills and have a little bit of room and margin for growth. So we charge a percentage of what the schools raise. Most schools are used to paying outside companies 50 60%, and then having a lot of costs um, on their own, things that are kind of hidden, and we're just, we, we very much believe in authenticity and um, you know, laying out the cost. So the checks write us, the, the schools write us a check for 48% of the total raised, uh, which schools that have participated in product sale fundraising, they think that's lower than traditional product sale fundraisers. But we cover uh, out of that percentage the cost of our team, the cost of promotions, the uh, T-shirts for the students, the rewards for the classroom, the tents, the tunnels, the so we try to make it as hassle-free and as easy for the school where they don't have to write multiple checks or keep up with expenses. So we try to keep the cost down on their behalf, and we cover all those. Uh, and then the school net is, uh, like I said, about 70% or more greater than their, their previous best product sale. So and out of that, that covers the, uh, the books that we give teachers for character curriculum. Every student gets a sticker every day with the character lesson of the day. So it's a pretty robust um, program. It costs us, on average, um, just in fixed cost before we even begin, uh, about $15,000 before we even walk into the school and, and have expenses. So it's not uh, the cheapest, but we feel like it's the best value for students. Um, and we just choose to make it inclusive, which is a huge cost. Not every student financially participates, but the idea that every student participates athletically uh, costs us more money, but it's just a value that we believe in. Yeah, great. Let's talk a little bit more. Let's shift the focus onto you personally. On, on uh, do you consider yourself um, a leader? And if so, what is your style? Hmm. Well, great question. I do consider myself a leader. Um, you'd have to ask my team. Uh, the 
the degree or uh, how 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 well I lead. I make mistakes uh, daily. Um, I think uh, I think leadership begins with self leadership. Uh, we define leadership internally, uh, and again, I'm speaking about how I lead my team, not not just how, which is the first step, not just how we lead our clients or we lead the program of the Boosterthon. Uh, but we have we have def- defined basically four stages or four steps of leadership, and this is very simple, but it helps us kind of put a grid and a box and some conversations around what we mean and what we talk about when we t- discuss leadership internally for our team. So our first, our four steps are know yourself, lead yourself, know others, lead others, and those four steps are intentionally in that order uh, before I can even lead myself. I have to know myself, my wiring. My uh, my family story, where I am in the world, my worldview, what makes me come alive, what frustrates me. The more I and that's just a lifelong process, of course. Every day I discover something new about myself. Mm-hmm. But once I start to know myself, then I can start to lead myself, and that self discipline um, and self accountability will, over time, give me the opportunity and the platform and the privilege to know others and then finally to lead others. I, I can't have the opportunity to lead others until I know who they are. I know how they're wired differently than I am. I know that they're excited about things that I'm not. I know that they're talented in areas that I'm not. Um, so if I can spend time before I jump to the privilege of leading others, spending time in the first three steps, knowing myself, leading myself, and then knowing others, then I have the opportunity, not the right, but the opportunity to lead others. So we, if there's one word that is central to our internal leadership, where do we, schools will always say, I mean, our number one question when we walk off campus is, where did you find these incredible team members? You know, mm-hmm. who are they? Where did you discover them? How do you train them? They're very young and um, in age. The majority of our workforce is in their uh, 20s or early 30s. So it's a very much a millennial team. Um, and the center of our leadership bullseye, in a sense, is the word intentionality. We want to lead intentionally, on purpose, for a purpose. So the, the theme that comes up in our leadership meetings often is what is intentionality? How do we lead intentionally? How do we recruit team members intentionally? How do we serve our clients intentionally? Let's do things on purpose. Let's do them proactively instead of reactively. I love it. I love it. That word is my favorite word. If you've listened to this podcast, you know we talk about it a lot. It's a big theme in my masterminds that I run, too. You're absolutely right. The intentionality piece is something I came into my leadership journey late in life. It was almost, and I think that's a natural progression for a lot of leaders, is I think in the beginning stages when you're young, we tend to make the mistake of trying to attract followers. Um, but it's when you really start to understand what it means to be intentional, you know, realizing that this just doesn't happen, that you have to be intentional about your own personal growth. You have to be intentional about um, um, being a leader, even though it's common sense. You have to be intentional about everything that you do. I love everything that you said. It's just pure, mm-hmm. pure gold with what you said. Well, intentionality just might be the key to everything. Uh, and it's not just leadership of an organization or people, but it's um – it's how I attempt to lead my wife and my family and community groups I'm involved in. Um, I want to show up. I want to pay attention. I want to engage. And time is the ultimate non-renewable resource. And the clock's ticking. And, uh, you know, I want to number my days and, and make the most of every day and every moment I have. And, uh, and then ultimately uh, leverage it to make a difference in the lives of others. Amen. One of my early mentors 
asked me that question about 15 years ago. This is, what are you doing? Do you spend 30 minutes? Have you spent 30 minutes today intentionally figuring out where you're going to be in the next one, five, 10 years? Mm. And I haven't. And then most of us don't. And I, and I even say that in my coaching clients now. And when I ask that question is like, what have you done today? For 30 minutes, have you sat down and thought about how you're going to grow yourself, grow your business, whatever you're trying to do? And it's amazing that we don't do it, right? We get so focused on autopilot, on to-do lists, on what we consider the important things in life, and we're not being intentional about where we're going. So I love that you said that. Yep, great. Well, time spent thinking about time is probably the most valuable time we spend. You know, planning the day, that extra 30 minutes or hour, that you feel like you're just wasting, but you're really maximizing the next, you know, 10 hours ahead of you. That's right. You're absolutely right. You said it early on, and you even said it here, that how do you get these great people? And that is the secret to great organizations, great uh, inspirational organizations, creative organizations. It all relies on the people. I think a lot of people who aren't in the leadership game or in the entrepreneurship game, they tend to think it's all about the leader or the entrepreneur. You seem to completely understand that it's not about you, that it is about the people that you surround yourself with and, and bring on your team. A hundred percent. If you're a um, one of the very, very rare individuals that's born with just God-given talent to hit a baseball or play a violin or some job that you do on your own, uh, you know, that might be a very rare exception, uh, but... You know, you can only grow and scale an organization or impact or anything if you learn how to lead people. A team will always do more than an individual. Um, so to have the talent is great. But I've seen many six, uh, many people with talent that have not been successful in leading organizations because they make it about them as opposed to making it about the team's success or, you know, a, a, a grand narrative that's bigger than them, a mission, a purpose, a vision. Um you know, a book that uh, I'm reading through for the second time, I'm uh, sure you've heard of Dan Pink's Drive. Yes. Uh, if any listeners haven't heard it, it's a great one. He's got a, you could even uh, YouTube his TED Talk, 15 minutes. But he talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose, um, and how not only is it true for every listener, it's especially true for millennials. We want a sense of autonomy. I can do this. Um and a sense of mastery, I can do it well, and a sense of purpose, I can do it for a reason. So, um, you know, if you're living your life for a story greater than yourself, and that's what we try to do when we walk on school campuses, this isn't just about us, this is about the, you know, 700 elementary students on this campus, and the 7,000 that will follow them over the next decade, how can we in some small way enhance the environment and the culture of the school, even if it's just taking a little bit of work off the administrator's plate or encouraging a student in the hallway, or raising a little bit extra money that they could spend on educational tools um, to do it for myself or for our team to think about themselves just isn't ultimately fulfilling. But to think that I'm doing this for a purpose greater than myself, to help and serve others, to build community, uh, help our great country um, is what really fuels us every day. Yeah, great. You know, another thing, you're you're preaching my language. You're definitely one of my tribe members, my, my friend. I mean, you're, you're talking about um, and I learned this late and later than I probably should have is like what what the key to everything you said is is realize that you're part of something bigger than yourself. Um, it's not about you. And when you understand that your purpose is kind of attached to that bigger why, then things seem to start falling into place, at least a lot better than it was if you were just focusing on a selfish reason or yourself for that matter. So I love that you said that too. Thank you. That's right. 
Well, what's next for Booster Thon? Where are you going? What's the? Do you got something big on the horizon? What is your next step? You know, as an entrepreneur who loves opportunity, uh, you know, my favorite words in the English language are future and new and opportunity. So I, I to know myself and then to know and lead others, I've got to be very careful um, <laughs> right. because there are so many things <laughs> on the forefront of my mind, opportunity-wise, other ways we can serve schools, other ways we can serve more schools um, that I've got to, uh, to use Jim Collins' grid from good to great, to preserve the core and stimulate progress, um, that that healthy tension. Um, so I've got an incredible team around me that helps me preserve the core, get our existing product better, serve our clients with more excellence, um, become more effective and efficient the way we do things, communicate better, clearer, um, take our character curriculum to the next level, come up with new ways to impact and influence, um, just do all that. And at the same time, uh, we need to be thinking about ways to Stimulate progress. So one of the um, you're in, I believe, uh, Kansas, Richard. Is that right? That's correct. So we currently don't have a team in Kansas. Um, we're currently in major markets. Uh, we we've just now launched Phoenix. We're serving our first schools in California uh, next week. Uh, we have a team in D.C. Uh, who's serving some schools in Philadelphia, Dallas, Houston, so Chicago. So from the southeast, the first five years, and now starting to branch to the northeast, the midwest, and the, and the southwest, and then ultimately to the west coast. Um, we're, we're headed to California uh, now. So we're expanding greatly. So I'm always thinking, how can we bring our product to schools that feel like the booster line is a great fit for them? They're tired of product sale fundraisers, uh, and they just need someone to come and help assist them. One of the big conversations we're having or piloting is, what about schools where it just doesn't work from a business perspective for us to have a full-time team in uh, a smaller market. So we've, we've run about 20 pilots over the past 12 months, um, basically servicing and equipping schools with all they need to run and host their own booster thon. Mm. Um, and we've seen great results. We're still trying to perfect every value that goes into um, the, the components of the program, because what makes our existing booster thon remarkable is our team. So how can we package the team where we can't fly a team or pay for a team where the school wouldn't want to pay for a team to, to live in, uh, you know, some non, some city that we don't have an existing team in for a few weeks. Uh, we don't want to put our team on the road all the time. So we're trying to figure out some new ways uh, where we can serve more schools. There's 85,000 plus elementary schools in America. We work with 1,000 and we look forward to the day we can work with 85,000. So we're always thinking of ways even beyond fundraising, uh, we are in the conversation now in the process of taking all of our robust character cur- curriculum and um, basically figuring out a way we can uh, equip schools with that character curriculum and some of our fitness components. Uh, we have a program called Boost Fit, which is kind of a P90X for kids that they can do at their desk on the morning announcements. It's really awesome. Um, we have a partnership with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, so they given us all their curriculum and healthy habits, and then we've kind of created this engaging way we can take that fitness, leadership, character piece and offer it to schools that might not even need a fundraiser specifically or might have another fundraiser, but they could have uh, and purchase that that component of the program. So I'm trying to figure out just before we officially green line and launch them all, what's all the value we can pack in these um, these new offerings uh, to ultimately serve schools. That's how we sign our emails. Uh, that is our goal is to serve schools with excellence. So as we discover new ways we can serve schools or new things we can 
uh, come up with to come alongside schools and offer to them, then that's where that's where our focus is. Man, fantastic. I am so glad that I've met you and that uh, came across what you're doing. I'm a huge fan. You always got a welcome home here at the Dose of Leadership uh, to help promote and help your business in any way that you can. I love what you're doing. So thank you. You sound like a guy, you seem like a guy who understands entrepreneurship, which I'm a big fan of, but you also understand what it means to be a leader. And sometimes entrepreneurs aren't always the best leaders. And so it sounds like you seem to focus and dedicate and try to understand both. So good on you. And, and, um, Thanks for coming on the show. It really was was fun having you here. Richard, thank you for your time. God bless you. I'm, I'm honored, and um, thank you so much. Okay, we'll talk to you again soon. We'll definitely have you back because I want to I want to see where this this business goes. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to it. Right. Have a great day. We'll see you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.